Welcome to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this week's message. There's only four stories in all four Gospels. The baptism of Jesus, the feeding of the five thousand, the triumphal entry, and the passion. There's only three predictions in all four Gospels. Jesus predicted Peter's denial. He predicted Judas's betrayal. And he predicted the cross. And there's only one teaching in all four Gospels. And it's just one verse. Peace. 
business of advice for people. I say it all the time. Lose your life. John's version is just a little bit different. John says it this way. He says, he who loves his life will lose it. And he who hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Lose your life and you'll find it. Hate your life and you'll gain it for eternal life. The goal of the gospel is not to help you get your life back. If you get it back, you just blow it all over again.
cross is our center. It's the heart of our gospel. Paul said that we preach Christ crucified. It's our only message. This is not simply a message for a Good Friday service. It's actually the only message that we have, the cross of Jesus Christ. Make much of the cross. Talk about it. Talk about the blood. Talk about the wounds. Talk about the torment. Talk about the shame. Talk about the agony. Talk about the gore, the lacerations, the mutilation. Make it the conversation. Talk about it at school. Talk about it at work. Talk about it at the Thanksgiving dinner table. Let's bring the cross back into the conversation. If they take everything else away from us and leave us with the cross, it's enough. is a key. It's the key to intimacy with Jesus. It's where love is excavated. It's at the cross where tears flow. It's at the cross where the two of you first met, Monty. It's at the cross where the key to our first love is found. It's the master key that opens up all the rooms of love, Gratefulness, abandonment, loyalty, longing, intimacy, desire, zeal, devotion. It's the key to important life decisions. If you don't know what to do, lose your life. It's the key to kingdom authority. It's in the blood of the cross that we find authority over demons, authority over accusation, authority over sin, over the flesh, over the devil, and over the world. It's a key. Number three, it's a lens. The cross is actually a lens that brings into focus things that were unclear. If you've got a scripture that you don't understand, look at that scripture through the cross and it will probably pop into focus for you. In fact, go ahead and see every verse through the cross. Just I want to invite you to this. When you're reading the scripture, Genesis to Revelation, look at the scriptures through the of the cross, and you're probably going to have the treasures of Scripture open up to you in ways that are fresh and rich. See all of life through the lens of the cross. When you're in university, read that textbook through the lens of the cross. When you're reading your online news, look at the news through the lens of the cross. When you're debating issues such as racial conflict or justice for the poor or gender identity, talk about it through the lens of the cross because things get 
only here when you see them through the cross. The cross defogs the room. Number four, it's a balance beam. The cross keeps us balanced and keeps us straight. It keeps us theologically balanced. It calibrates our theology. Every wacky doctrine has gotten away from the cross. Every weird thing that goes through the body of Christ, they got away from the cross of Jesus Christ. So whenever you encounter a new teaching, a new word, something out there that's kind of novel, just ask yourself, is this centered in the cross of Jesus Christ? I never feel safer than when I'm clinging to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's my balance beam, and it keeps me on, on, on center. If you can't get something through the cross, don't take it with you. Amen. Number five, it's an anchor. The storms of life, I'm, I'm just telling you, storms are going to come. Okay, Monty, buckle up for it. Okay, here, here comes a word for you, bro. Storms are coming in life. It's a personal word for everybody in the room. You are going to face storms. Your faith is going to be shaken. It's going to be tested. What are you going to do in the storms of life? I've got a word for you. Go back to the cross because there is an anchor. Now, this is Hebrews 6. There is an anchor for the soul that goes back behind the, the veil in heaven. It wraps around the mercy seat in heaven where the blood of the cross has been applied and it anchors your soul. The blood of the cross is an anchor for the soul. So when everything is being shaken in your life, the cross will keep you. When you can't figure out what to do with the doctrine of hell, wrap around the cross. When you can't figure out how to process all the suffering in the world, wrap your heart around the cross. I've got both arms and legs wrapped around the cross of Jesus Christ. And I'm like this, if the cross goes down, I'm going down with it. Number six, the cross is our GPS. If you don't know, how do you get from point A to point B? You walk the Via Dolorosa. The cross is a dipstick. A dipstick is what you use to measure how much oil you have in your, in your car. And the Father took the cross like a dipstick, dipped it in blood, brought it out, and goes, This is how much I love you. The cross is our coat of arms. It's the icon of our loyalty. It's the... It, I'm loyal tonight to only one thing. 
cross of Jesus Christ. That's about it. And when you're loyal to the cross, you can give your heart away to everybody on the planet because of your loyalty to the cross of Jesus Christ. Number nine on my list, it's the emblem of our faith. A brother said to me one time, he goes, I don't think that we should make the cross the emblem of our faith. He goes, I think we should make the empty tomb the emblem of our faith. They said to me, if you're going to wear something around your neck, wear an empty tomb. But actually, I don't agree with that. I think the cross is the emblem of our faith, and here's why. Jesus, let's bring to them the teaching 
teachings of Jesus, but let's not talk about the cross, because the cross is offensive to the Arab community, and we don't want to offend them with our message. And so there's a whole stream of missiology that says, let's not introduce the cross at the beginning. There's another stream of missiology, and I'm familiar with some of these as well, that are going, we're going to start with the cross. And they put the cross right up front as much as it offends, as much as it disturbs. They hold the cross up. And I'm aware that there are two approaches in the earth today to sharing the gospel with the Arab community. And from what I have heard, this is just from my window, this community is transforming nations. The nation of Iran is being transformed right now by a missionary movement that is carrying the cross into Iran. Because, and they're not apologizing for the cross of Jesus Christ. And I believe that it's time for us to lift high the cross and make it the first message that we bring to the world. The cross is our crown jewel. It's our secret sauce. It's our greatest treasure. It's our strongest asset. It's our showpiece. It's our glory. It's our distinguishing characteristic. It's our most distinctive feature. Why would we minimize the very thing that distinguishes us from every other religion on the planet? This is our boast. It's our glory. And I'm like, nobody else has a crucified God. Nobody else has a resurrected God. Let's talk about this. Let's make it our first message. It's our most glorious distinctive. Make the cross large. No cross, no power. No cross, no miracles. No cross, no Jesus. No cross, no hope. There are now that's that's the Arab community, but there are churches in America that are minimizing the cross. And here's what I see happening in America from my window. There are churches they don't want to talk about the gore, the brutality, the the gruesomeness of the cross, because the concern is that if we talk about the brutality of the cross, that we will repel seekers. But Jesus didn't quite seem to see it like that, because when he spoke of his cross, this is what he said, and I, if I am lifted up from the earth, will draw all peoples to myself. The cross has a centripetal gravity all its own. You don't have to defend the cross. All you have to do is lift up the cross, and the cross will draw people to Jesus Christ. Nobody at the crucifixion 
saw the cross. Everybody was fixated on the center cross. All eyes were on the center cross. They were all fixated on it, and nobody saw it. There wasn't a single person at the crucifixion that stood in front of Jesus Christ and said to him, you're the Lamb of God. You're the true Passover Lamb. You're purchasing for God men from every nation and tribe. You are splitting human history in half right now. You're making a way for us to draw near to God. You are doing Isaiah 53 right now, wounded for our transgressions, bruised for our iniquities. By your stripes we're healed. You're doing Genesis 3.15 right now. Satan is nailing you in the heel, but you are nailing him in the head. Nobody actually saw it. Nobody stood at the cross to prophesy over him. You're fighting the greatest fight of all history. Fight. Nobody said to him, you're running the greatest race of human history. Run and win the prize. Nobody saw the cross. And I'm like, not much has changed. We throng to our churches on an Easter weekend to hear a sermon on the cross, and we're still not seeing it. Jesus, would you get the witchcraft out of my eyes? Would you get the junk out of my eyes? Would you cleanse my eyes? Would you clear the veil away from my understanding that I might see the cross? Tonight, I'm asking for the Lord Jesus to do this for every one of us tonight, that we might see something in the cross tonight with a clarity, with a focus that we have not yet seen to this time. When you're in the presence of the cross, bringing up any other topic becomes trivial and trite. If you're not distracted by the cross tonight, you're still not seeing it. It's gripping, arresting, unavoidable, and inescapable. When you see the cross, you're pulled in by its gravitational vortex. It dominates your horizon. It fills your screen. It's the elephant in the room. When you see the cross, you can't get past it. You can't just go on with your day. You are stopped by the cross. It brings you to a full stop. That contorted nakedness, the sound of the gasping lungs, the fire in his eyes, the flame in his heart, and the cross brings us to a full stop. If you're not distracted by the cross, are you even in the room? The cross is the fountainhead of worship. 
worship springs from the cross. If you follow the river of worship all the way up to its headwaters, you will be kneeling in blood and water because flowing from a cross 2,000 years ago is a stream, a fountain of love that now comes down to even our generation in the river of love and worship finds its genesis and its source in the cross of Jesus Christ. That's where the, first, the two of you first met. This is where love is kindled. This is where passion is excavated. This is what causes tears to flow. When you need to return to your first love, come back to the cross. It's the alpha of worship. It's the omega of worship. It's where it all starts and it's where it all ends. It all is going to end. Revelation 5, worthy is the Lamb. When we get on to the other side, the song, we're still going to be singing about the Lamb of God because it's, it's the start of worship. It's the end of worship. Let's put the cross back into the center of our worship. There is nothing that God feels more strongly about than the cross of Jesus Christ. I think that when you come to the cross, you are touching God in his most tender place. Blood on his scalp, blood on his cheeks, blood on his neck, blood on his shoulders, blood on his arms, blood on his hands, blood on his chest, blood on his back, blood on his torso, blood on his legs, blood on his feet, blood on the ground. It's a spectacle of blood. There's a scripture that goes like this, with the Lord is as a thousand years and there was a day that to God lasted a thousand years the day that Jesus hung on this cross it just went on and on and on and to God those six hours on the cross were like a thousand years. And then that same scripture, it's in Second Peter, that same scripture goes on to say, with God, a thousand years is as a day. So what, what we say in our calendar, we go, it was 2,000 years ago. He goes, it was a couple days ago. Jesus, and you place your faith in this sacrifice, and you 
ask for this blood to be applied to your life, you unlock the heart of an uncreated God who feels about this with everything that is inside of him. And when you place your faith in the cross of Jesus Christ, it's as fresh to him right now as the moment it happened. And he pulls up a Mack truck to your life, lifts the gate, and downloads to you the fullness of his, of his kindness, the riches of his mercy, the abundance of his forgiveness. He gives you all of his heart. He gives you the storehouses of heaven. And it's all because you placed your faith in the cross of Jesus Christ. When you take the blood of Jesus on your lips and ask for the blood of the cross to be applied to your life, Abba Father relives the whole thing. It plays before him in its stark reality. And when you ask for forgiveness because of the blood of Jesus, Abba Father is, yes, I will forgive every sin. I will forgive every iniquity, every shortcoming, because you placed your into his hands, nails into his feet, and then I 
rammed a spear into his side. And here's what he did back. He washed me off. He changed my name. He gave me a new robe, a robe of righteousness. He put a ring on my finger. He put sandals on my feet. He sat me at the banqueting table. And then he wrote me into the family fortune. No wonder we love him so much. No wonder we're all here tonight face down giving him our love. Worthy is the lamb that was slain to deserve riches, honor, power, might, dominion, and everything that we are. You deserve it, Jesus, because of the great love that you showed us on the cross. A little story from my mother. My mother t told me the story a while back. Back in the 1970s, she served as a, as a phone prayer counselor on a CBN TV prayer line. Back in the 1970s, the CBN TV program, people would go to a call center in various cities around the world, around the nation, and people would call up to their local uh, hotline and receive prayer. So this was this was in Buffalo, New York. My mom is serving as a, she's answering the phone, and a gentleman called in. And he starts to go off on all the suffering in the world. If God is a God of love, then how does he allow so much suffering and pain? And he was just going off on this, on this whole thing. And my, as my mom told me the story, she says, I'm listening to this man on the phone. And she said, I suddenly, it's like the Lord just downloaded this to me. And she said to the man on the phone, she said, Do you blame God for all the suffering in the world? And he goes, Well, actually, yes, as a matter of fact, I do. And she said to him, That's okay. On the cross, he took all the blame. There are two sides to the cross. I'm going to get a little bit theological for just a moment. Stay with me. There are two sides to the cross. There is a verse that for me is the interpretive lens to the cross. When this verse comes into focus for you, then the, you can see the cross. It's 1 Peter 2, verse 21. 1 Peter 2, 21, For to this you are called, because Christ also suffered for us. I want to highlight the word for. There is a side of the cross that Jesus did for us. I'm going to call it the substitutionary side of the cross. There are things Jesus did for us on the cross so we never have to. He took the wrath of God 
God so we never have to. He took the punishment for our sins so we never have to. He suffered sickness and disease so that we can be healed. There is this glorious side of the cross. Some of some call it the substitutionary atonement of the cross. It's beautiful. Things that Jesus did on the cross for us so we never have to. And then Peter goes on to say, leaving us an example that you should follow his steps. There are, there's a second side to the cross. I call it the identificational side of the cross. It's the side of the cross that we do with him, that we follow his example and experience. Jesus said, take up your cross. So it, the cross, it's a little bit of a paradox because on the one hand, he did it for us. On the other hand, he's showing us how. And somebody goes, okay, well, what is the cross? Is the cross something he did so that I never have to do it? Or is the cross something he did to show me how to do it? And actually, the answer is yes. It's both. There's a side of the cross. Now, that's the heavy side of the cross. It's the horrible side of the cross. You and I could have never taken on the side of the cross. He took He took on Satan, death, hell, the grave, and he paid the price for our sins. He did the heavy lifting on the cross. That side of it, we never have to participate in. But now we have the dignity of sharing in his sufferings and also participating with him because there's something about suffering that grows you up. Suffering matures us. And if you never suffer in your walk with Christ, if you never share in the cross, you will arrive at the marriage supper of the Lamb improperly matured. You know, he wants to get married to a bride he can connect with. He wants to get married to a bride that he can relate to. But we can talk about the same stuff, and we've had similar experiences, and, and we've got stories that we can share. He wants to get married to a co-equal partner. He doesn't want to get married to a bride who at the marriage supper of the Lamb goes, you know, Jesus, this is our marriage supper, and I never really got that cross thing. You know, it's just a little bit morbid and depressing to me. I never connected with that whole thing. So can we just put that off to the side right now, and can we enjoy the moment, please, and just have our wedding celebration? I don't think he wants to get married to that kind of a bride. I think he wants to get married to a bride that when he says, this is the cup the Father gave me, that she will say, this is the cup the Father gave me. And when he says, this was the will of the Father for my life, she will say, well, this was the will of the Father for my life. And when he says, I went into the battle and came out with scars, she'll say, I went into the battle and 
came out with scars. And when he says, let me show you my scars, she'll go, let me show you my scars. And one day, my hands will caress the scars that brought me his love. And then his hand will slip into the side of his bride, and he will caress our scars. Because our scars become the tokens of our intimacy and our identification with him. And he actually dignifies the scars that we incur in this journey. I mean, would you want to show up to the marriage supper of the Lamb with no scars? So the identificational side of the cross, it's actually our glory, it's our dignity that he says, I will, it, 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 we can share with him and have, uh, have that participation with him. Jesus created the human body for crucifixion. At creation, this is, Monty, this is a uh, hypothetical conversation. At creation, I imagine, the Father saying to Jesus, as Jesus is fashioning a body that he himself is going to inhabit one day, he's fashioning it for Adam. And I imagine the Father going, do you want to put all those nerve endings in the hands like that? That's where they're going to put the nails. Jesus, are you sure you want to put all those nerve endings in the feet like that? That's where they're going to put the nails. And I hear Jesus at creation saying, yes, Abba, I know. I want to feel their sorrows all the way through my being. Nobody has suffered like God. Nobody can look at the cross and go, you don't get me. You don't get my world. You don't get my pain. Nobody can look at the cross because at the cross, Jesus Christ went deeper than the lowest human specimen. I don't care how dark you have gone into sin. I don't care how low you have gone or you have fallen. The cross is lower. And the cross comes underneath every one of us and lifts us up into the forgiveness and into the heart of God. Do you want to know how Jesus feels about you? He feels about you in his scalp. He feels about you in his cheeks. He feels about you in his neck. He feels about you in his shoulders, in his arms. He feels about you in his hands. He feels about you in his chest. He feels about you in his back, in his torso, in his legs, in his knees, in his ankles, and in his feet. His feelings for you go all the way through his entire being. He's got a bride here in this house. We feel about him the same way. We feel in our mind, in our heart, in our spirit, in our soul, in our body, in our flesh, from head to foot.
way through. We love you, Jesus, because of what you have done for us. The greatest honor in David's life, the greatest honor in David's life was not that he was king of Israel. The greatest honor in David's life was not that he wrote entire psalms. The greatest honor in David's life was not that he was given an eternal throne. The greatest honor in David's life was being quoted three times on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I thirst. Into your hands I commit my spirit. And when Jesus Christ was in the throes of his agony and looking for vocabulary to express his heart, he went back to David. He said, David wrote it the way I feel it right now. And he quoted David three times on the cross. Let me ask you a question. David, what kind of a journey would you have to walk in order to write something that Jesus would want to quote? And David cannot figure out why his life is so intense. David can't figure out why does the fire never stop? Why do my enemies never back off? Why is it always so hard? And he can't understand the intensity of his trial. Until now. And he's going, oh. I had to live it so that he could write it, so that I could write it, so that he could quote it. The intimacy of suffering. When we get to the other side and we're at the marriage supper of the Lamb and everybody is seated at the table and we're going to have table talk, you'll be chit-chatting with your neighbor at the marriage supper. There's only one guy at the marriage supper of the Lamb that can go, he quoted me three times on the cross. of life that we endure are actually dignifying and produce the greatest intimacy. Whenever I'm suffering, I go back to the cross. Whenever I can't see my way, I just go back to the cross. Whenever I don't know how to process my pain levels, I 
just go back to the cross. Whenever I hear that ancient accusation, God's withholding from you, I just go back to the cross. Have you ever heard that one? Terrence, have you ever heard that accusation, God's withholding from you? Because that one, that one goes all the way back. It goes back to the Garden of Eden where the devil set, used this one on Eve and he said to Eve, God is withholding from you the fruit that would make you everything that you could be. And the devil has been using this accusation from the very beginning. God is God is withholding from you. And whenever I hear that ancient accusation, I just go back to the cross. The way it comes to me, and this is just for me personally, it comes to me like this. Related to my voice now, Wes, it comes, he'll say to me, God is withholding from you the healing that would make you everything that you could be. And whenever I hear that ancient accusation, I just go back to the cross because the cross nails that accusation. When I come to the cross, I'm not looking at a God who's withholding from me. I'm looking at a God with a nail in his hand, a nail in his hand, a nail in his feet, who stands on the nail, spreads his arms, and says to me tonight in California, California, I give you my heart. I give you my soul. I give you my mind. I give you my strength. I give you my last drop of blood. I give you my last breath. And when I'm looking at the cross, I'm not looking at a God who's withholding from me. I'm looking at a God who is giving me everything. He's giving me his best. He's giving me his son. And now it gives me the courage to stand on my nail, spread my arms, and say to my beloved tonight, I love you with all my heart. I love you with all my soul, with all my mind, with all my strength, with all my money, with all my giftings with every resource that I have. I love you with all that I am. And this is the extravagant love of the cross that we have the privilege of celebrating tonight. He gave everything for us, and now we give everything for him. My closing scripture tonight is Mark chapter 15, verse 43. Mark 15, 43, Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member who was himself waiting for the kingdom of God, coming and taking courage, went into Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Now, here's why this took courage. Because Joseph of Arimathea, a prominent council member, this is a reference to the Sanhedrin. The Sanhedrin was a 70-member council that 
was like the Supreme Court of the Jewish culture. You could not climb any higher in the, in the ladder of society than the Sanhedrin. When you made it to the Sanhedrin, you were at the top. And Joseph was at the top of the top. He was prominent in the Sanhedrin. He had arrived, and the Sanhedrin had decided anybody that puts their faith in Jesus of Nazareth is out. And so Joseph was a believer in Jesus, but he was a quiet believer. He just didn't tell anybody about it. Because if he goes public with his faith, he loses everything. He loses profession. He loses income stream. He loses favor. Everything that he had built throughout the decades of his life, it all is lost if he goes public with his faith. But when he saw the cross, when he saw the cross, something changed. Because if you see the cross, something will change in your heart, and you'll have the courage to go public with your faith. Joseph of Arimathea, when he saw what Jesus had given, he gave his all, and he's like, I'm going public. And he went to Pilate and went public with his faith, and it took courage. But the cross will give you this kind of courage. Thank you for listening to the Encounter Church Sermon of the Week. If you would like to learn more about us, please visit EncounterJesus.us or search for Encounter Church San Leandro in your app store.